let's take our Bible and let's turn to Acts chapter 11. Acts chapter 11. Today is going to be on the topic of patience, long-suffering, discipleship, and disciple-making. I have learned that over the years, really learning how to follow Jesus close and clean, I believe it takes a lifetime commitment to Him. Lifetime commitment to the Lord Jesus. In fact, the con- commitment is contingent, is built upon the reality that nothing must come in the way of worship to King Jesus. For you and I, nothing must pull our gaze away from the beauty of Christ. Nothing must pull our gaze away from who Jesus is. And as we walk with the Lord Jesus, I believe it is also important as we are gazing upon His beauty, the beauty of the gospel itself, I believe it is vitally important as we, as we are walking in this life as followers of Jesus to pay attention to those who are walking beside us, to pay attention to those who are in front of us a step or two ahead, and to pay attention to those who are behind us as well. As important as it is to have our gaze upon Jesus, it is of utmost importance as well to find ourselves in gospel community with those in front, behind, and beside us in our walk with the Lord. Warren Wearsby once wrote, he said, Discipleship is a daily discipline. We follow Jesus a step at a time and a day at a time. And I might also add an addendum in there that says that we would follow Jesus not only as a daily discipline, a step at a time, a moment at a time, but a minute at a time, and a second at a time. Our lives should be consumed with walking with Jesus and looking at those around us as well. If we were honest with ourselves And I pray that you've come today seeking to be honest before the Lord, seeking to be transparent before the Lord Jesus. I hope that you're here today, Lord, saying, Lord, I'm I'm transparent before you. In fact, there's no other way that you can be before God because He sees it anyways. Some days we follow Jesus more closely than we do with other days. Other days we feel as if Jesus is right by our side. And in my life, I can tell you that the the times when I feel closest to Jesus, the times that I feel closest with the Lord is when I come to realize the crushing humility because of my sin and when I see my own inadequacies and deficiencies. In fact, I heard it once said that they the closer to the holiness of God that you you reach, the more you see your own inadequacies and your old deficiencies. Anyone who thinks that they have arrived in their faith is not walking as close as they might think. 
I would beware, I would, be, I would be very leery to broadcast how strong our faith is in the Lord. There are folks in here today who I know whose, their faith is strong with the Lord Jesus. And I would say, that brother or sister, their faith, they are walking with the Lord. And even if I knew that I was, my faith was strong in the Lord, there is no way on this God-green earth that I would stand up and say, Hey, brothers and sisters, my faith is strong in Jesus. Because I find myself very vulnerable at that point and know that right around that corner comes trials and tribulations to test my faith. You ever heard anybody say, pay for, pray for patience or don't pray for patience? Hey, I tell you, pray for patience. Pray for patience. An important rule of thumb, I think, for discipleship and making disciples is find someone who is always moving and always growing in their faith. Look around you in the body. Find someone who is moving. Find someone who is not static, who is moving in their faith. Find that person. Walk with them. Walk next to them. Walk on their coattails. Find a person who is not idle in their faith. And Paul wrote some similar words to Timothy, his young son in the faith. And Timothy wrote these words on this very topic in 2 Timothy 3 and verse 7. Sorry, 2 Thessalonians 3 and 7. He says, For you yourself know that you, how you ought to imitate us, because we were not idle when we were with you. So Paul writing to the church at Thessalonica, Thessalonica, writing to imitate him as he imitates Christ. And it's not as if Paul was just saying, look at us, look how faithful we are, look how uh, in tune we are to the Lord of the universe. It is not as if he was being braggadocious in any way. He, he was saying, you imitate us because we imitate Jesus. And as we imitate Jesus, imitate us, which is really the crux and the core of what discipleship is. Show Jesus to somebody else. And for those walking next to us and behind us and in front of us, those who are walking around us, maybe it's a, a person who is young in the faith walking beside us or behind us who have just come to faith in the Lord Jesus, who might be immature or might be hungry for God's Word, I challenge you. Brothers and sisters, seasoned saints of the Lord, I challenge you, give them time to grow in their faith. Give them time to grow. Give them time to breathe. Not everyone is at the same stage in their walk with Jesus. You can't expect a young saint of the Lord to be seasoned in their faith. Be patient. Give them time to grow. In fact, that's the topic of our time in Scripture today. Take it from Acts chapter 11, 1 through 18. The sermon is entitled, Give Us Time. Give us time. The topic is to be patient, to be long-suffering with people who may not be as far along in their walk as you might be. Most of what we're going to read today is a recap from Peter as Luke transcribes it. The two verses I want to really focus in on is verse 1 and verse 18. And I will read these verses and the verses that are sandwiched in this narrative. So I'll invite you to stand with me as we read God's Word. We'll read from verse 1 to verse 18, and my focal point will be around verse 1 and 2 and some of 3 and then verse 17. 
Now God's word said in verse 1, the apostles and the brethren, brothers who were throughout Judea, they heard that the Gentiles also had received the word of God. So when Peter went up to Jerusalem, the circumcision party criticized him, saying, you went to uncircumcised men and ate with them. Peter began to explain it to them in order. I was in the city of Joppa praying, and I was in a trance, and I saw a vision, something like a great sheet descending, being let down from heaven by its four corners. And it came down to me. Looking at it closely, I observed animals and beasts of prey and reptiles and birds of the air. And I heard a voice saying to me, Rise, Peter, kill and eat. But I said, By no means, Lord, for nothing common or unclean has ever entered my mouth. But the voice answered a second time from heaven, saying, What God has made clean, do not call common. This happened three times, and all was drawn up again into heaven. And behold, at that very moment, three men arrived at, at the house in which we were, sent to me from Caesarea. And the Spirit told me to go with them, making no distinction. These six brothers also accompanied me, and we entered into the man's house. And he told us how he had seen an angel stand in his house and say, Send to Joppa and bring Simon, who was called Peter. And he will declare to you a message by which you will be saved by you and all of your household. And as I began to speak, the Holy Spirit fell on them, just as on us at the beginning. And I remembered the word of the Lord, how he said, John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. And if God gave the same gift to them as he gave to us when we believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I that I could stand in God's way? And when they heard these things, they fell silent. The glorified God said, then to the Gentiles also God has granted repentance that leads to life. Father, we pray that as I have read this word, God, that you would already be, begin to move. Father, as we further examine, God, you'll move even further. Father, that you will clean out any clutter, anything, God, that is hindering our worship today. Father, we pray that we will see the importance of discipleship, disciple-making, and nurturing, and, and grooming, and bringing up those who are walking in their faith, new in their faith, and those who are seasoned. And Father, we just pray that as we go through your word today, speak to us as only you can. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. I believe what we find in the words of Peter is a simple challenge first to spread the good testimony of the work of Jesus. To spread the good testimony of the work of Jesus, which indeed is what the Lord was working in and through the apostles in the early church. And as I'm reading Peter's explanation as to what happened, I cannot help but to think about when we testify of the Lord's goodness. There's nothing quite like hearing a dear saint of the Lord share what the Lord is doing in their life. Somebody who had walked with the Lord for years and years and years and hearing how God has blessed them and walked beside of them in their, in their journey and walking with the Lord and to hear a person talk about how they come to faith in Jesus is such a great encouragement. Have you ever heard somebody give their testimony about following Jesus and it just uplifted you and made you want to rejoice and, and made you want 
to worship and you are encouraged. And, I mean, nothing will lift your spirit out of the dumps of despair like being reminded the truth of the risen Christ. And may I remind you, he is the same risen Christ who gave us the promise that he would never leave us nor will he ever forsake us. If you remember the work through the book of Acts, you'll also know that the work of the Lord is found in and through the book of, Na of Acts. And here's the work. It is to take the good news into the whole world in your immediate context and outward into the uttermost parts of the world. And God has been shaking the very fabric of the known world. He is shaking the very fabric of, of, of the world and their whole worldview. In fact, the world is with, with the buzz of the resurrected Jesus. People have been hearing what God has been doing through the apostles and through the disciples and through his church. He's beginning to shake the very foundation and the fabric of history itself. Nothing like this has ever happened in history. Uh, uh, the resurrected Lord, the resurrected God-man, nor will it ever happen again. And so this is an extraordinary claim. And this extraordinary claim of the risen Messiah is authenticated by the work of God's Spirit moving in and through the church. And the mighty movement of God is spreading out already and the worldviews are being changed. Their lives are being changed and flipped upside down. At the beginning of Acts 11, we get a foretaste of this, of this buzz going out to God's people. If you think about hearing what the Lord is doing in our world today, Think about it. You hear about a revival that is happening over, let's say, another county over. A mighty movement of God, and they're calling it revival. People are being saved. People are later being baptized. People are coming out time and again, and it goes on for weeks at a time. And your first thought is, be honest, is this a movement of God? Is this really the Lord? Is this really revival? What is your second thought? Your second thought is, can God do that here? Can God do that here? Well, of course the Lord can do it here. Of course the Lord can bring revival. But here's the thing. The prerequisite for a revival is you must be listening to His voice through His Word. You must have your heart primed and ready to receive that Word of the Lord. And to be able to be transparent Hands open to God, heart open to the Lord. Lord, speak to me. I'm ready to be revived. I want to be obedient to your word. I want to be obedient. If you come into a time of revival, maybe you, if you come here today, and you come in today with your arms crossed, you come in here building up a wall, if you come in here with your arms crossed, expecting nothing to happen, it's just going to be another Sunday morning. We're going to get out whenever we get out, and I'm going to go to lunch, and I'm going to rest for the rest of the evening, expecting nothing. If you come into God's house expecting nothing, guess what? That is what you're going to get. In fact, you will probably come to God's house with some type of critical attitude. This was wrong, that was wrong, this didn't go right, that didn't go right, and that is what you're going to get. If you look long enough for something to be wrong, guess what you're going to find it? 
But it should not ever be said that you walked out of here without hearing God's word. And so, then again, I begin to think about it. God has a way of breaking our little ego. God has a way of breaking our little prideful attitude and demeanor. Look at verse 1. The apostles and brothers, they were throughout Judea. They heard that the Gentiles had received the word of the Lord. Now, Peter has, he has now accepted the fact that, that God has included the Gentiles in the kingdom of God into this grand plan of, of, of salvation, and it is a glory to behold. It is almost a reflection and revelation about the multitudes gathered around the throne of God, praising God. It is a glory to behold that God is offering salvation. The burden of sin has been lifted. Christ is risen from the dead. The offering of salvation is not just for the Jew, it's for the Gentile, it's for the scope of, of the world. To all people, it is a glory to, the whole, to behold. It is worthy of giving God worship. And just as Peter had convinced God, needed convincing that this was God's plan of salvation to all, so did his brothers and sisters throughout Judea and beyond. The news of what the Lord was doing, it began to spread like wildfire. And, and so the apostles, the deacons, they couldn't be quiet about what God was doing. Peter went to the rest of the 12 apostles, the Bible tells us, he went to some in the, in the members in the churches in Judea, which at this moment there seemed to be more churches in Judea than, than, than there did in Jerusalem and in, in Judea and Samaria and surrounding regions. And here is what years of faulty interpretation, faulty biblical inter interpretation would get you. Let me just say this, that bad theology hurts the church. Bad theology and bad biblical interpretation hinders and hurts the church. Look at verse 2. When Peter went up to Jerusalem, the circumcision party, the Jewish believers, criticized him. What did they say? You went to uncircumcised men and you ate with them. This is what years of faulty interpretation of Scripture will get you and bad theology will get you. Here is where I would say to these Jewish believers in Jesus, and really the title of this sermon, give them time. Give them time to understand what is, what is transpiring. Give them some time. Give us time to explain, and we will give you time to see and learn what the Lord is doing. Just because you got the gist of what God was doing, and you got the gist of the interpretation 10 years ago, doesn't mean that a new believer today will understand it upon reading it the first or second time through. So he says, give us some time to explain and to, to learn what the Lord is doing. And, and Peter could have approached it this way. So he began, they began to question Peter for eating with the unclean Gentile people. And if you know the narrative uh, throughout the narrative of Scripture, you'll know that Peter's actions will later contradict what he says here. And we will tackle a portion of that later on in Acts when we come upon that. And Peter said, you, or they said to Peter, well, you went and you ate with those, those unclean people, the uncircumcised people. It shows you how bad theology and bad interpretation can cloud our judgment. They understood it at the very beginning when God said, you shall be a separate people, that that was some type of discrimination to totally stiff arm the nations around you. And that is not what God was saying at all. 
They were more worried about Peter eating with these people than the fact that they were baptized, that they were saved, gave profession of faith, and then baptized. They were more worried about that he had dinner with them than about their proclamation in Jesus. And the Bible tells me that they got wind of it before Peter even explained what happened. So they knew that these Gentiles had made a profession of faith to Jesus. They, have, they were followers of Jesus. And Peter responded the way that, that I would have liked to respond. But probably, if I am honest, I probably would respond a little bit differently in, in the flesh. Notice instead of this sharp rebuke by Peter, he didn't look at his brothers and say, How dare you? Now, did he have the grounds to rebuke them sharply? Yes, he did. He starts to explain to them what happened. And you know, sometimes our first response is to fly off the handle, is to respond in the flesh and carnally, instead of patiently as the Lord would see. And I began to think of the world we live in, this fast-paced world we live in. Even our handling of the Bible and the affairs of the church can get hurried along as well. We want things done here and now. We want it done when we say to have it done. We find it hard to walk through a season and to learn and walk along with each other and learn what God is doing. We want it done now. If it's printed wrong in the bulletin, we want it done before the end of the day. We want it made right before the end of the day. And so we get hurried along in the affairs of the church. But to learn the things of the Lord, it takes a lifetime of learning and patience, even from our senior and seasoned saints of the Lord who've been walking with the Lord for a while. But then at the same time, there are traditions that we hold on to with a death grip that maybe have become a bit of a toxic trait for our church. Have I identified those? No. But there might be some traditions we hold on to with a death grip that might need to go. But we also need to understand at the same time that some of these traditions are meaningful to people. And it takes time to demonstrate the total the total value of those things to the body of Christ. And so again, it takes patience. It takes time. It takes teaching and learning. Patience with one another. And I've got to admit, this is a tough lesson for me to learn. I am the most impatient person when it comes to wanting to see the body of Christ grow in their faith. I want it here and now. I want you to be walking with the Lord close and clean. I want all of us to grow in Christ. I want all of us who proclaim Jesus to have a robust, robust faith in Him. It takes time. To those Christians who are always in a hurry, here's some good advice. 19th century preacher by the name of A.B. Simpson said these words. He said, Beloved, I love that tone, Beloved, have you ever thought that someday you will not have anything to try you or anyone to vex you again. There will be no opportunity in heaven to learn or to show the spirit of patience, forbearance, and long-suffering. If you are to practice these things, it must be now. Again, that is patience, forbearance, and long-suffering. Yes, each day affords countless opportunities to learn patience. And then again, I say, pray for patience. Let's not waste 
those opportunities. God's best gift comes slowly. And in fact, we could not use them even if they did not. Many a man called to God to a work in which he is pouring out his life is convinced that the Lord means to bring his efforts to a successful conclusion. Nevertheless, even such a confident worker grows discouraged at times and worries because results do not come as rapidly as he would desire. But growth and strength in the Lord in waiting are results often greater than the end so impatiently longed for. Paul had time to realize these truths when he lay in prison, writing his epistle letters. Moses learned this when he asked why, many times being delayed in Midian and in the 40 years in the wilderness. Peter was impatient, or Peter was patient here with his his brethren in Judea. Give them time to learn. Give them time to grow. Give us time to walk through things together. Wait upon the Lord. God wants us to see results as as we work for Him, but sometimes we might not even see the results. Sometimes we might be gone. Sometimes it might be when we're dead and gone that God will water and produce fruit. Often God reserves success until after we have learned patience. That's a hard lesson. The Lord teaches us this valuable lesson through what I like to call the discipline of delay. The discipline of delay. Now, that's not talking about dragging your feet when serving the Lord. The discipline of delay. So I say this, church, be patient, be caring, be nurturing to those who may not be as far in their walk with the Lord as you might be. And those who are walking with the Lord, you also must be willing to move forward in your walk and not stay static. God doesn't want us to stand still and be static. So my plea to those who are great in their faith, who have a great faith, give us, give us time to grow, give us time to learn, give us... Give us time. Be patient. Be patient. See, Peter's tone becomes evident as he begins to explain the events that transpire. So if you have your Bible, let's walk through these verses together, beginning at verse 5, and I'll end at verse 17. So I'm going to recap this story, not read for word for word. So follow me along, if you will, in your Bible. Peter begins to to tell how he was on the roof. He was praying and hungry, and, and the Lord gave him a vision of something like this great sheet coming, being let down from heaven by its four corners, representing God's total dominion over all of the earth, north, south, east, west, and all points in between. It all belongs to God. God owns it all. And on this sheet are all types of what he would consider to be unclean animals. The Lord told Peter to rise, kill, and eat. Peter protested, Lord, no, I haven't had anything cross these lips, unclean or uncommon. But then what the Lord does, he corrects hundreds of years of bad theology and hundreds of years of bad interpretation by saying to him, what God has made clean, do not call common. But see, Peter didn't get it right away. Peter's like many of us. We didn't get it right away. 
In fact, it took three times to finally catch a glimpse of the meaning of what the Lord was trying to show him. But little did he know that the Lord had revealed to Cornelius in Caesarea that Cornelius must seek out one by the name of Peter who is in the house of one Peter the Tanner. So he sent some men to find Peter and to bring him, to bring him back. And they found him. And Peter presses on in the story. He is convinced by the Spirit of the Lord to go to the house of Cornelius and to preach the good message of Jesus Christ as Lord by first showing his good deeds that wherever the Lord Jesus went, he did good deeds. He did good works wherever he went and to preach the good news that Christ is not only has been put in the grave, but he is also he is risen as well. Now Peter preached. They heard the word, they repented of their sins, the Holy Spirit reclined and rested or dwelt upon the Gentile believers, and then Peter makes the most profound statement that we have read in this discourse. In verse 17 he said, If then God gave the same gift to them as he gave to us when we believed in the Lord Jesus, who was I that I could stand in God's way? Who am I to stand in God's way? And it took Peter a little while to finally figure this out, what the Lord was up to with the Gentile believers. The language that is used is this. Who is I to stand in God's way? It's similar to the phrase, can anyone hinder them being baptized? Remember when we read that? Who can hinder them from being baptized? The same Usage of the language. Who can stand in the way of God? Who can stand in the way of the Lord? And who am I to hinder a work of God? Who am I to hinder when the Lord is working? Think about that. Ask yourself that question. Who am I to hinder a work of the Lord? So in a way, this is a rhetorical question when the question should be, can we stand in the way when the Lord is working? Think about it. Can you stand in the way when God is working? Can you be a hindrance to somebody's faith? That's a deep question, isn't it? So in a way, we hinder people growing in their faith. But then I begin to think in terms of salvation, the Lord is going to call who He's going to call. By His grace, He's going to call to Himself to save those that He's going to save. And He's going to save those people according to His grace. But there are things that we can do as believers that will hinder others from growing in their faith. I would hate to think that I would have said something or done something to make a person have a negative view of Jesus and His church. You know how many times I have sat with people and they have said, I've had a bitter experience with the church. I have had a bitter experience with that church down there and don't ever want to darken the door again. And you might say, well, they've never been saved. Well, you don't know that. They might be getting over this hurt. I would hate to think that I have done something for a, 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 to make a person think negatively of Christ or the church. Can you imagine standing before the Lord and you are reminded how you offended someone or you hindered a person's walk with Jesus? You talk about holding your head down low. 
Maybe that should be on the lips of our prayer every time that we pray. Lord, I pray that I would have never been a hindrance to somebody in their faith and their walk with you. A little patience goes a long way. It paid off in this case because we notice the response in verse 18. They heard these things and they fell silent. And they glorified God saying, Then to the Gentiles also God has granted repentance that leads to life. Peter was patient. He gave them time to soak in God's word. He gave them time to hear it. And he was patient in conveying the message of the truth. They grappled with it. They wrestled with it. They were silent and wrestled with it. As Peter shared this testimony, maybe they were awestruck that God would grant salvation to the whosoever will, the Gentile. They grappled with it. And then what the Bible says is they glorified God. They said, well, then to the Gentiles, God has offered repentance. Remember last week when we used this phrase, the very end of chapter 10, that they were extolling God. You remember that? And we said how extolling God was magnifying God, making much of of the Lord, making much of Jesus. To extol means to magnify, make much of, of the Lord. Here again, these Jewish believers, even though it is a different word in the Greek, these Jewish believers now were making much of the Lord in an act of worship. In fact, this word that is, that is used to glorify God is the word that we get doxology. A doxology, which is to glorify or to praise God. We're praising God. And here's, here's the thing. If people are truly regenerate, as these believers were here, if people are truly regenerate or born of the Spirit of God, and they may not get everything at first, but you give enough time, they will see what God is doing and rejoice. Give enough time to see the truth and God's people will rejoice. It takes a long time for the principle and truth of expository preaching to take up solid roots in the body of Christ, particularly if the body has never been used to expository preaching. And we say, give it time to show fruit and we see fruit from, from and in those churches. And here Peter was patient as the Lord was patient with him, now Peter is patient with his brethren. He took the time to explain through the word all that the Lord was doing. They accepted it, and guess what? They praised the Lord. Now, everything doesn't have to look like it did 20 or 30 years ago in this church, or even 50 years ago. Listen, the Lord, the Lord doesn't change. God doesn't change. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. The gospel has not changed and will not change. But the way that we broadcast that over the years might change. The avenues at which we use now might change. God's word never diminishes. So you might have some young folks rise up amongst, our, amongst the body of Christ here. And they might have new and inventive ways as how to, to bring the gospel out. And, and bring the gospel forward, not diminishing the message, not showing irreverency to that message. But new ways, we've got to have patience with those folks. We have to have patience and acceptance to it. The Lord was moving mightily. They accepted it. 
They praise God for the gift of his salvation. And I say as a pastor, give us time. Give us time as we work through truths in Scripture, as we work through areas that our church is in need of, as we work and teach through those areas. Give us time. Give people time to grow. Give people time to learn. Give people time to nurture one another who's walking in front, behind, or beside us. Give truth the time to find deep roots. We want deep roots at Piney Grove. We want deep roots in the Word at Piney Grove. And praise God from whom all blessings flow, which is our doxology. Let's sing that together. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise Him, all creatures here below. Praise Him above, ye heavenly host. Praise Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. And the church said, Amen. Father, we do thank you for our time in your word today. We thank you for the truth of your word. And Father, one of the truths of the fruit of the Spirit is that of patience and another of long-suffering. I pray, God, that you would give us those those fruit in our lives, that we would live out those things, Lord. Oh God, I pray, God, that as we heard your word, that we would rest upon the truth of Christ crucified and risen again, which is the very message that Peter preached, the liberating truth that Jesus saves. It was liberating also to the Jews who heard it that now they have brothers that they never had before. They had people in their family who, they, who could never call family before in way of the Gentile believers. And the Bible tells us that they glorified God. They extolled God because of that. So, Father, today, for somebody here who may not know you, I pray, God, that they would come to know you today, that they would ask, God, that you would take their sins upon, you, upon yourself and forgive them, and they would trust in Christ as their Lord and Savior. For those here today who who might be struggling with patience and long-suffering, and those things, God, that you would help us to already now begin to, to nurture those things and to build that patience. It doesn't come easy. It doesn't come easy. It takes discipline. And that's why we call it discipleship and disciple-making. So, Father, teach us to be patient. Teach us to be long-suffering. Lord, help us to look in front of us, behind us, and beside us for those who are walking with us in our faith. And I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.